uh, this set of notes is, is specifically, or set, this study, set of study notes is specifically uh, looking at the scriptures that deal with the biblical principle governing how we use our eyes. Okay? And you're not going to be able to read that. Okay. If you say so. Some of the some of this of course is things that the Lord gave me to write and I'm going to read some of it some of it I'm going to skip over. I've got a lot of scriptures here. First of all, uh the first thing we want to talk about is the importance of the eyes. One of the most important principles of life is that anything with great potential for good always has just as much potential for bad. If misused, misunderstood, miscalculated, etc. This is especially true in regards to our eyes and how we use them. However, the adversary certainly knows how vulnerable our eyes make us and how critical our choices are about how, about what we allow to enter our eyes. This fact is easily demonstrated through his efforts to tempt even Jesus through his eyes. Now, if Jesus, according to the adversary, could be tempted through his eyes, where does that put you and I? I read you the scripture, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 10. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, the, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Luke 4, verses 5 through 8 says, And the devil taking him up into a, a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Notice the note, if you can read it. <laughs> we learn from the adversary's temptation of Jesus that we will serve what we allow our eyes to dwell on. What our eyes dwell on, our minds will also dwell on. And we will serve that. Let's talk about the spiritual function of the eye. And I'm not going to read all this, but here in the beginning, I, I, I feel the need to do that. You know that I don't like to read in the pulpit as far as reading. Scripture's fine, but I don't read my messages. But I am reading these things that, I, that I've written down simply because I'm trying to stay focused exactly on this message and not go off on one of my tangents. The eyes are both the windows of the soul and a direct access to the soul. The eyes are both the windows of the soul and they direct act a direct access to the soul. Again, as such, they have great potential for good and they also make us very vulnerable to negative influences. What I see 
creates a permanent image in my mind. Even if my conscious mind cannot remember the image, my subconscious always does. If I allow myself through my eyes to be exposed to wrong things, this will allow a stronghold to be formed in my mind that will affect my actions. That's called sin. The result of this is darkness in my life instead of light. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. Notice the connection here between who you will serve and the I. Here it is again. Weiss Expanded Translation says it this way. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be in single focus, pure, sound, your whole body will be well lighted. But if your eye be diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light which is in you is darkness, the darkness how great. No one is able to be habitually serving two masters. For either he will hate the one and the other will, uh, the other one of a different kind he will love, or he will hold to, fir- hold to firmly as against the other, and the other one of a different kind he will disdain. You are not able to be rendering a slave's obedience to God and to passion for accumulating wealth. You can't do both of those at the same time. And I, and I want you to notice there, see the note at the bottom of Weiss translation. It says all of those three verses are in one paragraph. So you cannot take the verse on serving out of the, away from the two verses, out of context of the two verses that talk about your eye and its effect on your body and its effect on your soul. Note, carefully consider the connection of these three verses. Their inclusion in the same paragraph, the original text, clearly demonstrates the connection once again between my eye and its uses and what I serve, what I allow my eye to focus and or feast on will ultimately determine what I give my service and allegiance to. Jesus said in Luke 34 through 36, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine, when thine eye is single, the whole body is also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. We says of those verses, the lamp of the body is the eye. When your eye is in single focus, sound, and fulfilling its function, also your whole body is well lighted. But when it is pernicious, also your body is full of darkness. 
Be constantly scrutinizing yourself. Be constantly scrutinizing yourself, lest the light which is in you is darkness. Therefore, assuming that your whole body is well lighted, not having any part full of darkness, the whole shall be full of light, as when the lamp by its brightness, bright shining illuminates you. Here's my note again. Again, what our eyes are engaged in seeing, our souls will be engaged in serving. Our eyes are responsible for our lives either being filled with light or being void of light, having darkness. This is the power of the eye. Therefore, governing, governing, governing what enters or does not enter the eye is very crucial to our salvation. If our eyes are giving spiritual darkness access to our souls, then we will be full of spiritual darkness. If our eyes are the portal of spiritual light to enter our beings, then our whole being will be full of spiritual light. Therefore, how we use our lives will ultimately, excuse me, our eyes will ultimately greatly affect our salvation because there is no fellowship between light and darkness. Here's the first principle of guarding the eyes, beginning with Psalms 101 verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment of thee, O Lord. Will I sing? I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. You're welcome at a later time. And again, you can download these notes when you get home. Same place. Theantioch.com slash notes. You can get them at home if you didn't get them here. I'm hoping you will want to do that. Notice different translations of this verse, Psalms 101.3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. The Amplified says, I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them who turn aside from the right path. It shall not grasp hold of me. Uh, the New Living Translation, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. Uh, the easy-to-read Bible says, I will not even look at anything shameful. What's the matter? Easy-to-read Bible. That's a version. Easy-to-read. That's that's an official Bible, yes. Easy-to-read ver- Bible. I will not look. I will not even look at anything shameful. I hate all wrongdoing. I will. I want no part of it. Uh, let's try uh, the uh, today's new international version. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. And then the new international readers version. I will look at any. I won't look at anything that is evil. I hate the acts of people who aren't faithful to you. I won't. I don't even want people like that around me. My note here: If I entertain myself with viewing that which is anti-God and His Word, I will allow the spirit of these things to cling to me, and eventually they will begin to affect how I see things, how I feel about things, etc. What my eyes dwell on, I will desire to have, to do, to be, etc. It all starts with the eyes. Job said, Job 31.1, I will make a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? 
Job made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a maid. He realized how vulnerable his eyes made him. And rather than being a victim of what his eyes saw, he made a commitment, possibly a vow, to not allow his eyes to linger on a woman to the point that his mind would begin to fantasize about being with her sexually. The Amplified Version says, I dictated a covenant and an agreement to my eyes. How then could I look lustfully upon a girl? The Living Bible says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a girl. Today's English version, I have made a solemn promise never to look with lust at a girl. Contemporary English version, I promised myself never to stare with desire at a young woman. Easy to read version, I made an agreement with my eyes not to look at a young woman in a way that would make her make me want her god's word translation i have made an agreement with my eyes then how can i look with lust at a virgin new century version but i made an agreement with my eyes not to look with desire at a girl new english translation i made a covenant with my eyes how then how then could i entertain thoughts against a virgin the message bible i made a solemn pact with myself never to undress a girl with my eyes World English Bible, Bible. I made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I look lustfully at a young woman? The complete Jewish Bible. I made a covenant with my eyes not to let them lust after any girl. New International Reader's Version. I made a, an agreement with my eyes. I promised not to look at another woman with sexual longing. He didn't take any chance here. He acknowledged his weakness. He acknowledged the potential. He understood the negative of dwelling with your eyes on someone that's not your wife. Whether you're single or married, it makes no difference. Someone that you're not married to. He understood that. He understood that if he let his eyes linger somewhere, his mind would begin to conjure up images and, 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 uh, and ideas of what, what could possibly happen. And, it, and he understood the danger of that. So he made an, an agreement, a covenant, a compact with his, his own eyes. I won't let that happen. There's some, uh, References there to the Hebrew words, what a covenant is, et cetera, et cetera. I'm now down to negative, the negative results of looking with lust upon a woman. The following verses are just a few, just a few scriptural examples of the negative results of uncoveted eyes. Much pain, heartache, and shame has resulted in undisciplined eyes and the doors to sin that they have opened to even the greatest of believers. Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Uh, this is the first time there was any unequally yoking together with unbelievers. And it, it only took a few chapters till the world got so bad off, God destroyed it with a flood. This is where it started. Second Samuel chapter 11 verse 1, it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabath, Rabah. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. It came to pass in the eventide 
evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And as a result of that, she became pregnant with David's child. And so to cover his sin, he has her husband brought back from the front lines. And when the man won't cooperate by by going home to his wife's bed because his brethren were out in, in the war, then David had him sent back and put on the front lines so he'd be killed. God called it murder. And all of this were the actions of a man that God said and never with withdrew the statement this is a man after my own heart and yet the man after his own heart who who let his eyes in an undisciplined moment feast upon something the guy had you know how many wives he had and he had concubines hey what was wrong with one of them Why do you got to take somebody else's wife? I'll tell you why. Because he opened the door to it with a look. He let his eyes linger. And no matter that God said, this is a man after my own heart. That man who was a man after God's own heart, let his eyes linger when he had all kind of women who were legally his. I don't understand that. Don't want to try to explain it. And thank God it's not real today. But a man after God's own heart was capable of falling into that kind of sin because of an unguarded moment with his eyes. I won't read the next couple of verses. You're welcome to do that. I'm trying to save time. They're good. They're important. There is no controlling the end result of having undisciplined eyes. This is scary right here. I'm telling you what. This is scary. One of the end results of violating the Lord's guidelines with our eyes is having eyes full of adultery. Notice the following verses. In the following verses, the company that these adulterous eyes are keeping in the context below. Listen to the other characteristics of a person who has allowed their eyes to become full of adultery. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are. This is talking about people that go to church right here. This is talking about people that go to church and how bad off they got spiritually. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are going astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of uh, Bosor, 
who who loved the wages of righteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass, his donkey, speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn again from, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. The sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. These were not sinners. These were people who had been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, who had experienced the power of God, heard the word of God. And the implication is some of these people were actually preachers. And yet they got in such a despicable spiritual condition that one of their symptoms was having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Listen to these scriptures. No woman, living Bible, no woman can escape their sinful stare and of adultery they never, never have enough. New Living Translation, they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. Today's English version, they want to look at nothing but immoral women. Their appetite for sin is never satisfied. The Bible in basic English, having eyes full of evil desire, never having enough sin. Contemporary English version, all they think about is having sex with someone else's husband or wife. Easy to read Bible or version. Every time they look at a woman, they want her. They're always sinning this way. New century version, every time they look at a woman, they want her, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. The complete Jewish Bible, for they have eyes always on the lookout for a woman who will commit adultery, eyes that never stop sinning. New international readers version, they stare at women who are not their wives. They want to have sex with them. They never stop sinning. Baptize in Jesus' name. Fill with the Holy Ghost people that walk with God at some point, that live by the word of God at some point. What started their downfall? I think it is a reasonable conclusion that their eyes didn't go from zero to this in a moment's time. I think it's a reasonable conclusion to draw that they didn't get here in a few hours' time on the Internet. They got there from a habit. Hear me right now. You may think it's all in the privacy of your little domain where nobody knows what you're doing. 
But when you feast your eyes on that, you can't stop your eyes from working that like that with living humans. Not on some picture on a screen or some video you pulled up in your little dark closet where you're watching it. And you fellowship with that over and over and over again until your eyes can't stop it because they're a reflection of the darkness you've allowed to be inside. And I wish it was just men today that was like that, but no more. Statistics prove that women, especially young women, are as addicted to pornography as any males in this country. It's no longer just the domain of the males. Jesus had a solution for this. Jesus strengthened the importance of having a covenant with our eyes to not look upon a woman who is not our wife because of the fact that we can can commit adultery in our hearts even if we never commit the act physically. He also clearly and strongly stated how far we should go in removing this potential for offense against him and our souls. Matthew 28, chapter 5, verse 28 through 30. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, folks, that's really strong language. Do you know what he's saying? If you can't get your eyes under control, revving going to hell, you work your finger back inside the socket and plop, plop that thing out, get you something and cut the optic nerve and take that thing and throw it away from you so you can go to heaven instead of going to hell with two eyes that you can't control. Say, preacher, you're not honestly saying that. No, I'm not honestly saying that. Now, I can't tell you what Jesus was saying here. But don't go leave it here saying, the preacher said you got to pluck your eye out. I'm just reading you what the book says. But the bottom line is this. This is how badly Jesus wants you to be saved, and he expects you to have this kind of urgency. And maybe it's not plucking out your eye. Maybe it's disconnecting your Internet. Maybe it's giving up your wireless device. Maybe it's unplugging your TV if you got one. Maybe it's selling your your, your DVD player if you got one. If you can't do anything else, don't tell me you can't help it. Jesus isn't buying that one. Hey, this isn't UPC doctrine. These are the words of Jesus. This is strong stuff now. And I'm not going to take the time to read all those translations because they're gruesome. You'll have to do what you're going to do. But there's another another area where Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. Better to go to heaven maimed than to hell whole. If I can't stop myself from seeing stuff that's going to 
caused me to be lost, pluck the eye out. If I can't stop myself from doing stuff that would, that would send me to hell, cut my hand off. If I can't stop myself from going places I shouldn't go, cut my foot off. Now, obviously, he's not really talking. And maybe, maybe he is. I don't know. I don't want to diminish the word here. I don't know how literally to take that. I, I, I'm, I want to go to heaven really bad. But I'm not ready, I'm not ready to cut a hand, a foot, or an eye off, or pluck my eye out. But if it means sell every DVD I own, or throw them in the trash if I can't sell them. If it means calling Verizon tomorrow and saying, unhook me from everything, I'm done. If I have no other way, And immediately, you know what that means you're going to do? You're going to start thinking about all the things you can't do, that you need to be able to do. If that's what you were doing, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? If you were texting instead of sexting, maybe you could keep your phone. But if you can't keep yourself from acting like that, Maybe you don't need a phone. Well, unless, of course, you don't want to go to heaven. I didn't write this. This isn't Antioch doctrine. This isn't UPCI doctrine. This is Jesus. I'm reading a note at the end of those verses of the translations. Jesus directly connected looking on a woman to lust after her to an offending eye. While we may choose to believe that Jesus' solution to an offending eye is not for us to literally and physically pluck the eye out of our head. The actual solution may be no less extreme in the degree to which he expects us to go in removing the potential for giving the eye the opportunity to offend. The point that must not be missed in, in the discussion of what he actually meant by pluck out is that Jesus, not the UPCI, made an offending eye a heaven and hell issue. Jesus did. Not me, not the preacher. Jesus did that. Had somebody tell me, they said, I kind of feel like the church is a little lethargic today and people just kind of lost some momentum. I think I could just about guarantee that about 90% of you with this kind of problem, you probably, you know, you're lethargic, don't really have a lot, a lot of momentum, get up and go, however true that particular diagnosis is for you. But I got a feeling if you trace that the root cause of that back, it probably will center really close around your eye and how you're using your eyes. Oh, yes, it will. And in case you think I'm up here making some rules, this is biblical principle. There's no specific thing in these scriptures saying how to apply or not apply these. You know what? Because that's what the Holy Ghost is supposed to do in your life. Because you may be able to look at something I can't look at. I may be able to do something else that you can't do. 
It's not a matter of making a rule. It's a matter of believing the word of God and let the spirit of God talk to our hearts about it. Some prayer warriors in this building don't pray anymore. There's some, there's some spiritual warriors that don't do warfare anymore. I wonder why. I'm not saying it's 100% the problem, but I'll guarantee you, if you are honest with yourself, you could trace it back to how you're using your eyes. Next section. I'm not going through that. It's just giving you, in, in three different places where Jesus plucked the, said pluck the eye out, He uh, there's actually three separate Greek words used there to give you a full flavor of what he's trying to say there. I will do this after Matthew 18 verse 9. If you go all the way down to the where it says pluck VID, that's supposed to be vines. Notice what I've what I've put in bold there of vines definition. It the word pluck there means to take out. Indicating that with determination and promptitude We are to strike at the root of unholy inclinations, ridding ourselves of whatever would stimulate them. I thought that was well said. Okay, I'm down to the section, choosing to see and focus on God and good. The best way to not allow your eyes to be tempted is by focusing on what you should be seeing rather than trying to resist what you should not be looking at. Deuteronomy 5, 20, uh, 32 says, Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you. you, shall, you, you you're supposed to look straight ahead. You're not supposed to look to the right hand or the left to be distracted. That's what Proverbs actually says. Proverbs 4, beginning with verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto thee, those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. New Living Translation, Proverbs 4.25. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Bible in basic English. Keep your eyes on what is in front of you, looking straight before you. Easy to read version. Keep your eyes on the path and look straight ahead. God's word translation. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your sight be focused in front of you. In other words, when you get distracted to look at what's available on the right and available on the left, and you're not looking where you're going, you're going to stumble and fall. Going down to the section, what is the source of temptation? The process of sinning begins when we are drawn away by our lusts. How do our lusts know what to draw us to? What we see, 
James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. There's some verses there that are good references to that thought. Down to the lust of the eyes. Uncoveted eyes become an ally of the flesh and our pride, eventually causing us to love the world and not God. First John 2.15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Permit me, I'm only going to do the amplified version of Weiss here. Amplified for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, and the lust of the eyes, greedy longing. The lust of the eyes is the greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources, or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. We expanded translation of verse sixteen. Because everything which is in the world, the passionate desire of the flesh, the totally depraved nature, and the passionate desire of the eyes, and the insolent and empty assurance which trusts in the things that serve the creature life, is not from the Father as a source, but is from the world as a source. Notice there that lust, the Greek word translated lust, Strong says it's a longing, especially for what is forbidden. Complete Word Study Dictionary says it means to desire greatly, strong desire, longing, lust. Look at the next section. Some of the most egregious sins in the Bible began with a simple look. All Eve did was just take a look at the tree. I'm sure she passed by that tree occasionally. But before this point, she didn't look. That didn't mean she didn't see it in her eyes. That her eyes never rested on it. But apparently on this particular occasion, her eyes lingered there. And when that happened, the voice of the adversary, the tempter, began to work on her to get her to see how good it was and how great it would be for her if she tried it. Genesis 6, 2, I've already read about the sons of God saw the daughters. Listen to this, Joshua seven twenty one. When I saw among the spoils of a goodly Babylonish garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, Because I saw them, then I coveted them. My coveting, my lust began because I first saw them there. I saw them, then I coveted them, then I took them, and I 
took them back to my house and buried him in the ground. And we know from the parable of the sower that the soil is a type of the heart. So he took it back to his tent and he buried those things in the ground. What's the big deal? God told Israel before they ever came against the city of Jericho. This was the first battle in the promised land. And God said, all the spoils of this city belong to me. It's all holy unto the Lord. We're going to fight other battles, and you're going to get your shares from all of that. And we're going to give you a share of the land. And all of this is going to be yours down the road. But the first fruits of you coming into the promised land, all of it belongs to me. Achan, that's the guy in Joshua 7.21, he knew that. It was made clear to everybody. But he saw there a goodly Babylonish garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels. And when he saw it, he lusted after it, he coveted it, and when he coveted it, he took it, and when he took it, he went and hid it in his heart Because he knew he'd be in trouble if people found out he had it. So he buried it in his heart so he looked right. He looked like everybody else. He looked as innocent and obedient as everybody else. But that look had caused him to lust. That lust had caused him to take. And the taking caused him to bear it in his heart and act like one way when he was really something else. Slight problem. When you read a little farther than verse 21, you find he brought, or find, read a little earlier than this, you'll find he brought the judgment of God on Israel and 3,000 men died in a battle because of his sin. 3,000 men. 3,000 husbands and fathers and sons and brothers died in battle because of this man's sin, because the blessing of God wasn't on that battle. Because of this man's sin. And guess what it cost him? He was taken out with his children. And all of his possessions to the valley of Achor. And he was stoned to death. And his family with him. And he was burned. Their their remains were burned with fire. And they piled a great heap of stones upon their Remains that all started with a look. It all started with a look. If he hadn't seen it, he wouldn't have lusted after it. If he hadn't lusted after it, he wouldn't have taken it. If he hadn't have taken it, he wouldn't have buried it in his heart deceitfully. If before that battle he said, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, I've I, I wronged God here. If he'd have dug all that stuff up before that battle, he'd gone to Moses and said, look, I, I, I saw this. I fell in temptation. I took it, but I'm wrong. God, forgive me. God, help me. I believe he would have been forgiven. And those 3,000 men would have lived, and him and his family would have lived too. But one look cost 3,000 men their lives. It cost Achan and his family their lives also. It started with a just innocent look that turned into a lust that caused him to act on that lust and take what in his. And he hid it and acted like he was one thing when he was something else and it cost him everything. 
And it started with a look. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver should not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? You know how many things people buy just to have sit around so they can look at them occasionally? I'm not going to go very far that. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Next section, the lie. The lie is that an undisciplined eye can satisfy the soul. That's the lie. A life that does not put the Lord first is doomed to emptiness. When our lives are empty, we can never satisfy our souls through a lustful eye which always craves more and more, and a progressively greater degree of depravity in the content that it wants to see. You can start off with something pretty mundane right now, but after a while, the eye's not satisfied with that. You've got to go something a little bit worse, and then you got to go something a little bit worse. And the next thing you know, if you're not careful, you're looking at stuff that you can't even imagine you would even bother doing. It's so repulsive. But your eye is not satisfied. Ecclesiastes 4 and 8 says, There is one alone, there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor? Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is sore travail. Ecclesiastes 1 and 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. New Living Translation. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Good news translation. Everything leads to weariness, a weariness too great for words. Our eyes can never see enough to be satisfied, and our ears can never hear enough. Contemporary English version. All of life is more boring than words can ever say. Our eyes and our ears are never satisfied with what we see and hear. Easy to read version. Words cannot fully explain things, but people continue speaking. Words come in again and again to our ears, but our ears don't become full. And our eyes don't become full of what we see. The New Century Version, everything is boring. So boring that you don't even want to talk about it. Words come again and again to our ears, but we never hear enough. Nor can we ever really see all we want to see. New English Translation. All this monotony is tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear ever content with hearing. World English Bible, all things are full of weariness beyond uttering. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, the ear with hearing. Notice my note, please. Let us consider another very important point regarding the use of the eye. Even if I'm not viewing objectionable things with the eye, but I'm spending time trying to fill up a bored life by what I'm seeing and hearing because my relationship with the Lord is lacking. That is just as wrong as if I was watching wrong things. 
Please understand something. If you think right now I'm saying to you, you can't use your eyes for anything. You can't ever watch anything again. You can't ever go online again. You can't. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. There's no rules here. There's no, there's no thou shalt nots here. Nobody's saying that about any of it. These are principles that you and the Holy Ghost will have to apply in your life as you and him work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's no rules here. Again, you may be able to go to heaven watching something I can't watch. I may be able to go to heaven looking at something you can't look at. Because God knows each one of us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our personal problems. He knows what I can handle and be saved. He knows what you can handle and be saved. And it's more than likely different. Our eyes create desires. Our eyes should be looking at only what the Lord has given us, not roaming for things we don't have. A roaming eye triggers wrong desires. Ultimately, these desires become our motivation and guide. Ecclesiastes 6 and 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. Listen to the Amplified. Better is the sight of the eyes, the enjoyment of what is available to one, than the craving of cravings of wandering desire. This is also vanity, emptiness, uh, falsity, and futility, and a striving after the wind and a feeding on it. By Bible of Basic English. What the eyes see is better than the wandering of desire. This is to no purpose and a desire for wind. Contemporary English version says, it's better to enjoy what we have than to always want something else because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. And finally, the easy to read version. It is better to be happy with what you have than to always want more and more. Always wanting more and more is useless. It's like trying to catch the wind. Now, I know some of you are going to giggle at this. But in case you think I've crossed the line here, I am reading out of the Bible. My eyes should focus on my own wife and not on another woman. If my eyes are not, if my eyes are not seeing other women, then my desires will not be drawing me after them. Proverbs 5.15, drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. You can read the rest of that. I think there are some younger children here. I think I'll just leave it right there. You can read that later. Ah. Listen to this carefully, please. My note, I read my note. This principle is true even if I, I, if I, even if I'm only watching women on some type of video presentation, movie, TV, inter, or on the internet. I may not attempt to pursue some woman that I'm looking at in a movie or online, but according to Jesus, my fantasies count against me the same as if I was hooking up with them physically. There's a connection between our eyes and revival. 
while my eyes are engaged in fellowshipping with that which is contrary to the word of the Lord, my soul is dying spiritually. However, by not giving in to the looking at or and or watching the worthless and then using that redeemed time to turn our eyes on his word, we will be revived. Psalms 119, I'm just going to read for time's sake, verse 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in the way. Listen to this now. New Living Translation. Turn mine eyes from worthless things and give me life through thy word, through your word. Bible in basic English. Let my eyes be turned away from what is false. Give me life in your ways. Easy to read Bible. Don't let me look at worthless things. Help me live your way. God's word translation. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Give me a new life in your ways. Keep me from looking at worthless things. This new century version. Keep me from looking at worthless things. Let me live by your word. New English translation. Turn my eyes away from what is worthless. Revive me with your word. Complete Jewish Bible. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. With your ways, give me life. New International Reader's Version. Turn my eyes away from things that are worthless. Keep me alive as you have promised me. Note, if we are revived, then we will always be involved with what Jesus is doing, seeking and saving the lost. If we're revived. You want revival? You want to turn your life around? You're tired of being empty and bored? This The book says, now you can call God a liar if you want, but the book says it doesn't matter what, how much you watch, how much you're seeing. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's worthless. It's empty. It's unfulfilling. So therefore, here's what you can do. Turn your eyes away from worthless things. Put your eyes on God and he will revive you. He will give you life. He'll give you righteousness and peace and joy. He'll give you life and life more abundantly. So I can let life drain out of me because what my eyes are causing me to fellowship with. Or I can revive, I can repent and be revived and turn my eyes on Jesus and his word and his things, his kingdom. And he will revive me and give me life and then I'll have something to give away. Why are we not seeing more sinners saved? I got to tell you right now, this absolutely stirs me up right here. I'm not pointing this at you. I, 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 I've looked at every bit of this. In all of my years of study, I cannot tell you a time when as I studied something and simply took notes for what God was directing me to that I have ever in my life ever come across anything more convicting than what the Lord put in this. I didn't say I felt guilt. I just felt conviction. I felt, I felt the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me and saying, don't don't do this let me help you do this look at the results of doing this and look at what i'll do if you do this could it be the re that the reason we are not seeing more sinners saved 
is because we're spending so much time doing the same things that sinners do. When we walk with God rightly, including guarding of our eyes, it brings conviction upon sinners. What, what about your life would cause a sinner to say, why are you like you are? What's, what's going on in your life? Can I have what you got? You got something I don't have. What about your life? What is it about the way you live your life that would, I'm not talking about a haughty judgmental attitude. I'm not talking about looking down your self-righteous nose at people and judging them. But what about being at peace? What about having some joy? What about being happy in Jesus? What about, what, what would be the case if you lived in such a way that people could see the difference between you and them and say, what is it that you've got I don't have? I want it. Tell me how to get it. Isaiah 33, 13, hear ye that are, are far off what, have, what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh up righteously and speaketh up rightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of the rock. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. And I'm only included here. You can read the others if you want to in your study material. But I've only included here just the New Living Translation. Listen to what I have done. Your nations, you nations far away. And you that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Jerusalem shake with fear. Terror seizes the godless. Who can live with this devouring fire, they say? Who can survive this all-consuming fire? Those who are honest and fair, who refuse to profit by fraud, who stay far away from bribes, who refuse to listen to those who plot murder, who shut their eyes to enticement to do wrong, These are the ones who will dwell on high. The rocks of the mountains will be their fortress. Food will be supplied to them, and they will have water in abundance. Your eyes will see the king in all his splendor, and you will see a land that stretches into the distance. My note here, for sinners to be convicted of their sins, there must be a clear distinction in lifestyle between the believer and the sinner. If Christians are doing all the same things for enjoyment that sinners do, then the sinner has a right to ask the question, what's the difference? But when a believer lives a full, peaceful, and contented life in Jesus, the sinner is convicted and becomes hungry for God. The church is the salt of the earth. If they're hanging around the church, they should get thirsty. This is the last section. But as they say, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. 
So much of the entertainment industry today is based upon giving the viewer the opportunity to vicariously live a life and do things that they would not actually do themselves. Dictionary.com defines vicariously as felt or enjoyed through imagined participation in the experience of others. According to the following verses, our fathers consider, our father considers vicariously sinning just as damning as the, as actually committing the act. Romans 1, 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Look what the Greek word pleasure means there. To think well of, in common, assent to, gratified with. You may not be doing what other people do, but if you're taking pleasure in what they're doing, Thayer says, to be pleased together with, to approve together, to be pleased at the same time with, consent, agree to. Vine says, to think well of, with, to take pleasure with others in anything, to approve of, to assent. I won't read those verses right now, but listen to this, my note at the bottom of that section. These are thought-provoking and repentance-producing verses. Obviously, it matters what enters our being through our eyes. Our eyes instigate and feed the mental imagery of our thoughts, fantasy or fantasizing. The Lord God said concerning man that he had been given the ability to do all he could imagine to do. Genesis eleven six. This also is the great allure of video games. They allow one to virtually or vicariously become someone and do things, someone else, and do things that they could not or would never do themselves, or so they tell themselves. Look at the definition. The word virtual or the virtual world simulates the real. Look at the definition of simulation. Imitation or enactment. As of something anticipated or intesting. Second definition, the act or process of pretending. Number three, an assumption or imitation of a particular appearance or form. Counterfeit, sham. And then this one. The representation of the behavior or characteristics of one system through the use of another system, especially a computer program designed for the purpose to let you vicariously become and do 
someone else doing things. If your computer games have you doing things that the Word of God says is wrong, then you are vicariously taking pleasure in that sin. Say, preacher, you, you're giving rules. No, I'm not. Play the game. And, it, and if you've got any Holy Ghost, the Lord's going to deal with your heart. And if you can do that stuff and feel nothing, If you can watch stuff and feel nothing, if you can surf on the Internet and do stuff that's sin and look at sin and feel nothing, you ought to be so terrified of your condition that you find yourself someplace to pray and pray and beg God till you get your feeling back. Because if it keeps going, your conscience will be so seared with a hot iron, you will never find a way back. There won't be a way back. Because if you sear your conscience where it won't work, it's assumed that if your conscience won't work, you can't hear the voice of God either. Because the conscience is more common than the voice of God from the Spirit of God dwelling in the life of a believer who speaks to them. If your conscience even in, even even isn't even working, which every human being that's created is created with a conscience, if your conscience isn't working anymore, my God, Lord help us. Next section. An imagination filled with the pleasure of evil brings the judgment of God. Genesis 6 and 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he said, I'm going to destroy it. The Lord destroyed the earth the first time by the great flood because of the wickedness of their imaginations. Yet today it seems that virtually everything in the entertainment industry is intended to provoke imaginations. They provide enough good that we are greatly tempted to swallow the bad. Today we face greater temptation than ever before. Why is that? Because to participate in most sins in the past, one would have to go out and publicly participate. The public nature of sin was a deterrent to prevent man prevent many from sinning all by itself because they feared being caught. But now there is no sin that an individual cannot participate in through today's technology, video, internet, video games, in a totally private setting. If the first time that the Lord destroyed the world, it was because their imaginations were evil continually. How continuous are the imaginations participated in today with the full extent of technology's ability to supply stimulus to our fantasies 24 hours a day. Even TV 
used to stop broadcasting at midnight. You may not know that. But it did. Not anymore. The potential of sin vicariously never sleeps. Is it any wonder that the next time the Lord destroys the world, it will be by fire and not by water? I just got a couple of pages to go, and I got a couple of minutes to get there, to say the least. I got 22 minutes till you all turn into mice. Your cars turn into pumpkins. And you're not wearing glass slippers. Fellowshipping with light or darkness. As in every other generation, we must choose whether we will fellowship with light or darkness. We will either choose to love the light and the things that belong to the light, or we will choose to love the darkness and the things that belong to the darkness. However, the condemnation, judgment of God, is upon those who choose the darkness over the light. It's amazing to me how many people only read John 3.16 and don't continue reading. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Here is the evidence that produces the judgment guilty. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. My note, light exposes our activities for what they are, good or bad. If I love light and I have done or am doing wrong, then the light will allow me to see my acts as God sees them. Thus I will repent. If I stay in the darkness, even the, even the shadows, I will in no way be able to be saved because I will never see my thoughts, attitudes, and actions in God's light. Therefore, I will never repent because I see no wrong. The impenitent are going to be lost. Living in the light does not mean I, I will never sin. It means that light will always reveal my actions to me so that I can confess them as wrong. And finally, we have to come out to come in. The Greek word translated church is ekklesia. It literally means the assembly of the called out ones. We are admonished by the Holy Ghost through Paul's writings to come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. The Father will welcome those into his house who make the choice to be set apart unto him. The following verses could not possibly be clearer or more specific, and neither could the conditions and promises of separation be more potently stated. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look what Strong says the word separate mean. Come out from among the be separate. It means to set apart by boundaries. Oh, there's some of you that don't believe in the boundaries. This is necessary. That's not important. I don't believe that's necessary. Then you tell me what the boundaries are. Because God's people are supposed to be set apart by boundaries. There's supposed to be a distinction. Listen to what Thayer says of separate. To mark off from others by boundaries, to limit, to separate. This isn't talking about being judgment. It's talking about the choice of your lifestyle in every area, inward and outward. He said, come out from among them, be separate, and touch not the unclean thing. And listen to what the word touch means. To attach oneself to, to touch in many implied relations. It's derived from the word that means to fasten to, especially to set on fire. Thayer says it means to fasten to, make adhere to, hence specifically specifically to fasten fire to a thing, to kindle, to set on fire. The complete word study dictionary of the word touch means to connect, to bind, to apply oneself to, to touch, refers to such handling of an object as to exert a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. In other words, he's saying, If your involvement with the world is modifying your thoughts, your attitudes and actions so that you resemble the fads and fashions of this world, inwardly and outwardly, you're touching the unclean thing. Note, the Greek words chosen by the Holy Ghost in this text eliminates all honest-hearted debate over the Father's expectations that he expects that he expects his children to be different from the world, act differently from the world, and have affection for things that are opposite of this world. If we love the world, the things of the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. The most important place for this separation to begin is how we use our eyes. And in case you're, you don't think it's important, I'm coming back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So listen now. Verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. How about give me the Amplified on the screen, please? You do that? 2 Corinthians 6.17 Amplified. 
I have to read up here because whatever's going on back there, I can't read that very well, the, the Bible, whatever that stuff is in the background back there of the words, it just all blurs it for me now. So come out from among unbelievers and separate, sever yourselves from them, says the Lord, and touch not any unclean thing. Then I will, then I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor. So if I come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing, then the Father will receive me with favor. Now, what's the opposite of that? I don't come out. I I don't separate. I don't come out. So what is the Father going to do? He's not accepting me. That Greek word translated receive right there means to welcome you in as an accepted or approved person. Now, again, quickly, I'm not talking about our attitude toward people. I'm not talking about looking down our nose at anybody. This isn't about judging. We are not judges. We don't have a right to judge anybody. But I'm talking about just dedicating ourselves to a lifestyle with the Lord that others observing our peace, our joy, our commitment to God, seeing that we have something they don't have, their, our attitude toward them will be so kind and loving, they will look at us and say, what is it different about you? What is it you have I don't have? I want it. Well, you know, when you can't tell the sinner from the saint without a program, people don't come to you and say, what do you have I don't have? You know what they say? I learned this lesson a long, long time ago. I was in the sixth grade. I had a couple of, I was new to the school. My dad had just transferred into Jacksonville, Florida, and I was new to school, and there was a couple of guys in my class, and they seemed like pretty good guys, and they seemed like they were. And uh, I, I'd, eat, I'd hang around with them a little bit, and we'd eat, eat lunch together. And one day, they got to telling some pretty raunchy stories, and I sat there. I didn't get up. I didn't want them to reject me. And then, then one of the guys, he started using some profanity. It wasn't very strong for today, but it was pretty strong back then. And uh, they asked me, said, what about such and such? And, and they wanted me to tell a story, a dirty story. And I, and I finally had to say to them, I, I'm sorry, guys, I, I don't talk like that. And one of them looked at me and said, oh, yes, you do. I've heard you. And it hit me. I had never talked like that in my life. But because I was sitting there fellowshipping with it and identifying with it, he was sure he'd heard me say it because I sat there approving of it. I'm not talking about having a bad attitude. I'm not talking about being judgmental. I'm just talking about knowing who you are, knowing what God wants, who he is, wanting him more than anything else, having peace and joy and a good attitude and a good spirit and being happy because this world isn't happy. And people looking at you going, you got something I don't have.
we were talking. I was fellowshipping with some folks Saturday night. And a couple of us were talking, and a couple of us had had been in areas of the former Soviet Republic. And and one person said it, and others agreed. What's so amazing is you don't realize it at first. All of a sudden, it hits you. Nobody smiles. Nobody smiles. They don't smile. I was in the Ukraine doing a a, a leadership seminar for for apostolics, and everybody over thirty, those people that had lived part of their life under communism. We're sitting in church. God is there. He's moving, and they don't crack a smile. It's not there. Not at all. And I asked the missionary, I said, what's going on? He said, they still live under that fear from before. And you learned. You don't do anything to attract attention to yourself. And in this society, if you just smile, you're different. Well, you know something? It's not all that different in our society. And I'm not talking about the, the, the fake smiles and laughs of guys sitting around that's half-loaded in some dingy bar trying to pretend like they're having fun. I'm talking about genuine smiles, heartfelt, that not just don't reach, just reach your mouth, they reach your eyes, where there's joy there, where there's peace there. And somebody can look in your eyes and see there's some reality there they don't have. That you got a hold of something and something's got a hold of you that they don't, they don't know anything about and they want it. But it's not going to happen if you're fellowshipping with the same stuff they're fellowshipping with. The difference is when they can't get out of bed on Sunday morning because you stayed out with them and they stayed out with you, you got to get up to keep putting the act on. So when I'm asking you, where are you going? Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to church in the morning. And they look at you strange. You've just been sitting here with us doing all the stuff we do, talking all the same stuff we're talking to. You're going to church in the morning. They don't look at you and say, I want what you got. They look at you and say, they think to themselves, what kind of hypocrite are you? Again, I'm saying it all over again. I haven't preached one rule or law here tonight. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been specific about any thou shalt or thou shalt not. This is, these are the principles of the Word of God. And in each one of our lives, the Spirit of God will talk to us if we will let Him, unless we've already killed His voice in us through impenitence and the hardness of our hearts, and we don't want to hear. But if you want to be sensitive to God and you want to please God and you want peace and you want righteousness and you want joy and you want life more abundantly, it's not that you will never make a mistake. I need a Savior every day. But, you, but you're but you sensitive to his voice and he talks to you and you begin to say, okay, if he's not comfortable with this, I'm not comfortable with this. If he can't stay here in fellowship with me while I'm doing this, I'm not going to stay here and do this. If he can't watch this with me, I'm not going to watch it.
I, I am aware that with a document with Scripture this strong, Scripture this strong, this clear, that there is the potential for some to take these words and instead of letting the Holy Ghost apply them to their lives, their own intellect, their own conscience, their own guilt will apply them to their lives a certain way. And the next thing you know, now they're applying those words to everybody else the way they apply them to themselves. Then they become everybody's judge. I'm aware of that potential. But you hear me right now. These words are supposed to cause you to look at you and nobody but you. If the Son of God said he didn't come to judge the world, don't you dare become an idolater and try to take his place and decide you're going to do what he wouldn't do. This is between you and Jesus. What are you going to do with it? It's already affected my life. Some things I thought thought were pretty innocent. As I as I looked at this, I realized there's some things they're not as innocent as I thought they were. And because I first and foremost want to please Jesus and walk with Him, and I I want to be saved more than anything else in this whole world. I don't want to be lost for anything or anybody. I promise you this right now. I don't expect to pluck an eye out. But if I find that in this new understanding, I have the inability to change how I've been using my eyes, then I will eliminate the possibility of misusing them even if it means I can't even carry a phone anymore. Now, you wouldn't do that, would you, preachers? Yes, I would. I'd take every piece of electronic equipment in my house and put it in a trash can, no matter how new it is, if that's the only way that I can guard my heart by guarding my eyes. Why? Not because, not because I'm following some rule. Not because it's some law. Not because it's some church religious requirement. But because if I can't fellowship with the Spirit of the Lord while doing this, that, or any of the, uh, any of it, I'm choosing Jesus over any of it. I'm choosing Jesus. Father, I thank you for your presence that's been in this place tonight. I thank you for the spirit of light, knowledge, understanding, and revelation that has moved upon our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits. Lord, I thank you for your willingness to attempt to grant us repentance so that we will repent if we will receive the empowerment to repent. I thank you for shining the light of your love upon my life and how I'm living my life so that somehow, Father, I can walk in a way that you'd have me walk, that I could fellowship with you. I want to fellowship with you, Jesus, more than anything in this world. I want to walk with you. 
I want to know you. I want you to know me. I don't want anything in me that shouldn't be there. I don't want to do anything that displeases you or brings any discredit to you. You have loved me unconditionally. You gave your life for me. You shed your blood for me. You've offered me a new start every day. Your mercies are new every morning in my life. Yesterday's past and covered by your blood. Every day you offer that to me. And out of thanksgiving to you and out of love for you and out of appreciation for you and what you do in my life and what you're willing to do in my life, want to do in my life, I give you thanks and praise because of your love for me. And I thank you for loving each and every one of these people in this room and those that may are watching or or may watch this message. I pray for them also in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your spirit that's in this place, that they could feel it right now and that your spirit would talk to them and they wouldn't feel threatens, threats or condemnation, but they would feel your love wooing them into a, a more intimate and personal relationship where they please you and you can bless them abundantly with life and life more abundant and Bless them with your kingdom and all the additions that go with your kingdom because you desire to give it to us. Your word says, you said it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Father, Father, help me to live in such a way that my life and my choices will not prevent you from giving me what is your good pleasure to give me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so tonight. Let us spirit of repentance come upon Antioch. Let a spirit of repentance come upon each one of us individually. Let revival take place in this place so that sinners can be converted unto you and that we can walk with you and know you like we've never known you before. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, he in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, rise up, Holy Ghost. Let your grace empower us to confess right now. Let your grace empower us to repent right now. Give us the ability to feel it, to know it, to see it, to mean it. In the name of Jesus, empower us to not only confess, but empower us to repent, to change, so that we can walk with you in light, so that we can fellowship with you and with your light, so we can walk in your spirit, walk in your peace, walk in your righteousness, and and experience and fellowship with your joy, that your power... An authority may be manifested through our lives to defeat the powers of darkness and so that the lost who are blinded by that darkness could be set free and brought into the light. Father, I can't help those that live in darkness that are blinded by that darkness find light. If I'm fellowshipping with the same darkness, deliver me, Father. Deliver me, Father. Let me love light and not darkness. Let me love truth and not lies and self-deception. Let me love you and not this world. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My, 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 the Holy Ghost is in the house, folks. Are you just going to harden your heart so you can go ahead and be dismissed and get out of here before it affects you? Well, I'll tell you, let's fix that. You're dismissed. If you're looking for a way out so you don't have to respond to God, you're fine. It's fine. You're welcome to go. Service is over with. If you're looking for a way out, if you're trying to reject the word, you just wait for this thing to be over with so you can sneak out and nobody will notice that you've rejected it. You're welcome to go. But if the Lord is moving in your heart, if the Lord is moving in your life, if the Lord's talking to you, if you feel his presence, if you hear the voice of his spirit, if he's dealing with you, if you want to walk with him, if you want to do his will, now's the time. The mercy of God is in the house. The grace of God is in the house. The love of the Father is in the house. The spirit of truth is in the place. Father, shine your light. Father, shine your light. Father, shine your light. Father, grant us to love light instead of darkness. Father, grant us to love dark light instead of darkness. Father, grant us that we would love light instead of darkness. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. Sincerely, honestly, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. I'm putting the mic down.